0: Come to the table Today we're finishing up our series called Come to the Table, and we're going to look at the life of David after he has become king. And you need to understand that David was anointed as king three times. The first time, he's a young boy. He's in his father's uh, hometown of Bethlehem, and he is anointed by uh, Samuel as the king. Now, the dangerous part is King Saul was still alive, and if you're not related to the present king, it's kind of a dangerous time to be anointed as king, so they kind of kept this on the down low. After Saul died, David was made king of the southern part of uh, Israel, which is called Judah. So they were split into two nations at this time. There was Israel and there was Judah. The third time David was anointed as king was when he unified the two, the Israelites, the the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And so we're going to read about that in just a minute. Now, specifically, I want you to understand the king's table. So you see some chairs up here. We're going to talk about the king's table today. And the people who fill in all of these chairs are the best of the best. You have to be connected to the king. The king has to trust you. They got to be the brave The smartest, the most powerful warriors, politicians, they're going to be seated with him today. Um, everybody who would help protect his throne, the king would have at his table. And so that's why you've got this up here. So we're gonna read about King David when he becomes king of, the, of both nations. Then I'm gonna have some volunteers come up here and sit in these chairs. So be ready for that. Here it is, starting in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses three and four. So there at Hebron, David made a covenant with the leaders of Israel before the Lord, and they anointed him king of Israel. So this is when he unifies the two, uh, the two nations. David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years in all. Cody, you're right there. You're close to 30. Come on up. Cody's going to be our King D. Everybody say, hi, King D. And because he's the king, give him a hand. Come on. All right. You're going to hold that and you get to sit in the big chair because he is the king. Now, what we want to do is we want to fill in the people around the table and I want you to understand who the people are that are in these chairs. So we're going to jump to 2 Samuel chapter 23. What were the people like? I'm about to tell you what they were like. These are the names of David's mightiest men. The first was Jashobeam, so because I don't think you'll remember that, we're going to call him J Beam. All right, so J Beam, the Hackmanite who was a commander of the three. Who were the three? It tells us the three greatest warriors in King D's army of his men. He once, J-beam, once used a spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. You want to be invited to the king's throne? Kill 800 enemy warriors with a spear in a single battle. That will get you high up there in rank. All right, so I need a J-beam. Who's going to be my J-beam? Well, hang on. Uh, This is before women could be in the military. So, um, All right, come on. All right, so we got a J-beam. J-beam, you're coming down here. Come on. J-beam, the mightiest of the men. All right, now who was next? Next in rank among the three was Eliezer, son of Dodai. So we're gonna call him E. E, once Eliezer, E, and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift a sword. Another translation says, he killed so many Philistines that his hand was glued to his sword. This is a bad dude. Now listen to this. And the Lord gave him a great victory. The rest of the army, the rest of the Israelites, um, uh, did not return until it was... Time to collect the plunder. So they run away, but David and E, they are some bad dudes. Come on, Matthew, I need an E. Come on, Matthew, get on up here, buddy. Hustle, hustle, hustle. I know you can move faster than that. I've seen you in Haiti running around, little, little Haitian kids running all over chasing you. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. So E, go over there and sit by J-Beam. He's the second, J-Beam and E. All right, third. Next in rank is Shema. We're just gonna call him Sh. <laughs> Sh, son of A G from Harar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field, field full of lentils. The Bible cracks me up. I didn't even know what a lentil was, so I Googled it, and it's a legume. What is a legume? Well, it's something like beans or peas or something like that. So the Bible says they were having this battle in a vegetable garden. I don't know why we need to know that, but we know it. So, shh, is in a vegetable garden. The Israelite army fled, but shh, held his ground in the battle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. All right. Got to see somebody. Got your hand up. I don't know who you are. Come on. I can't, t- I can't see. Come on. Oh, come on, buddy. Come on. You're shh. Sorry, you're just in a dark spot. I couldn't tell who you were. All right, so we got the three mighty men. J-beam, E, and shh. Y'all are going to remember this. Next time you read this in the scripture, you're going to say our pastor is so weird. That's okay. You'll remember. Now, I want you to understand how incredible these guys are. So let me read to you what's next. This is the next verse in 2 Samuel 23. Once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley valley of Rephaim, the three who were among the 30. Okay. So now there's 30, there's three, but there's also 30 mighty men, but they're the three, they're the best. The three who were among the 30, an elite group of David's fighting men went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at, at the time and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Where was David born? Bethlehem. And the Philistine army had taken up. So listen to what David says. David remarked longingly to his men, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. There's no good water in the valley of Rephaim. The best water comes from Bethlehem. So the three think this is a great idea. They broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem and brought it back to King D that's impressive I think or dumb I don't know but here look what happens but he King D refused to drink it as a kid I remember this story because I thought surely he's going to drink it and he doesn't drink it. and I thought oh man he's slapping them in the face he's he's disrespecting them look what he does instead he pours it out as an offering to the Lord I got that good Bethlehem water I'm going to pour it out and I was going as a kid I'm telling you as a kid I was going no as an adult though look I understand look what he says David says, the Lord forbid that I should drink this. Why? This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. So he said, these these men are so precious to me. I'm I'm not gonna drink the water, I'm gonna offer it to a higher power. In honor of what they did, I'm going to pour this out to the Lord. So a drink offering poured out to the Lord was a huge deal. And so the legend just went higher because David honored what they did by pouring out the water. And then it says, these are the examples of the exploits of the three. You want to be at the king's table? You need exploits, not antics. Um, antics or something else. We'll, just, we'll define that later. Well, let me just show you how, how big a deal this was. So they go from the Valley of Rephaim to Bethlehem. Here, you can't read it, but these little words right under that balloon say Valley of Rephaim. For reference, here's Jerusalem, Bethlehem. That's about... 12 to 15 miles, homeboys say, hey, there's a battle going on. Let's just break through. The king wants some good water. We'll go get him some good water. 15 miles away, they're walking. That's impressive. Got to thinking about this. It'd be like me saying, man, I sure miss some Herschel's tea. They used to be one of our big things, Herschel's. When Caleb could first drive, he actually put a scratch down the side of our matrix because he went to get tea by himself and one of them started to fall. And you know, that little narrow lane, he actually ran into the cement wall. So we have, you know, my little car, there's a, there, glory to Caleb. Um, but it'd be like me saying, man, I sure wish I had some Herschel's tea. Well, where's the closest Herschel's nowadays? Henderson, Texas. Shandy's always posting when she goes there because she wants everyone to be jealous. But it'd be like me saying, hey, I want some Herschel's tea. And Shandy says, I'll go get it. But there's storms going on, not just a battle. We're talking Sharknado, tornadoes with sharks in it. I mean, Janie loves sci-fi movies. So sometimes I I slip into sci-fi movies because I love her. I have to watch some of this stuff and some of this. Sharknado, there's tornadoes, there's hail, there's fire and brimstone coming down. And Shandy goes, I'll go get Doug some Herschel's tea because I know how much that means to him. So she drives the 60 miles to Henderson through Sharknado and through hail and brimstone. She comes back, she hands me the Herschel's tea. And the first thing, I do is go, oh, this is so precious, I can't drink this shanty. I'm gonna pour it out before the Lord. Because what you did is so impressive to me that I'm gonna offer it to someone higher. That's how you become one of the three. Right? Okay. You with me? Everybody say yes? yes. Alright, good. But well, we're not done yet. We need some more at the table. Abishai, son of Zariah, we're just gonna call him AB. AB. Son of Zariah, the brother of Joab was the leader of the 30. Leader of the 30, not the three. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. That's impressive, but it's not 800. So you're not part of the three, you're part of the 30. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. Abishai was the most famous of the 30 and was their commander, though he was not one of the three. The Bible cracks me up. He was famous, he was good, but he's not one of the three. All right, I need an A, B. In the earlier service, people, come on, people were looking down. They weren't making eye contact. (laughs) All right, bud, you're going to be A, B. Sit right there next to shh and keep it down. You're not quite as good as them, but you're good. You're famous as them. All right. Now, next, there was Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. We're just going to call him Ben. Ah, I love the story of Ben. Check this out. He was a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. Not that that means anything to us. Here's what it means. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. And here's a by the way. This next sentence is a by the way. Another time, by the way, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Why you need to follow a lion into a pit, into an enclosed area, I do not know. But it actually helps him out here in a minute. Uh, He chased it down the pit and killed it. Once, armed only with a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian, not just an Egyptian warrior, an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah, Ben, wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hands, killed him with it. Deeds like these made Ben as famous as the three mightiest warriors. Now check this out. He was more honored than the other members of the 30. Even though you're in charge of the 30, Ben was more honored. You're more famous, but Ben is more honored than the 30 though he was not one of the three. Now, here's my favorite part. And David made him captain of the bodyguard. You chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day and kill it, that's a great thing to have on your resume when you're applying for bodyguard. You can be my bodyguard. And just because you're there, George, come on. Come on, George is going to be Ben. I think ben would ch- I think George would chase a lion into a pit on a snowy day and do some jujitsu on him or something, right? All right, come and sit by A.B., all right. Now, we're not done because any king's table needs a queen, right? So we need somebody who, who has beauty, who is of royal line, who, who just, when she walks into the room, causes, come on up. I see your hand. I was going to call on you anyway. Get up here, Hannah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You never know with a preacher's kid whether they're gonna want to be on the stage or not, but she dances a lot. So we're gonna call her DQ, not Dairy Queen, David's Queen. All right, come sit right here. We'll let you sit next to King D. All right, now there's one left, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but understand this every king had a table. And the folks who occupy these places are the best of the best. They're the mightiest warriors, and they have to be connected somehow to the king, or you have to be connected to someone that the king holds in high esteem, or you're not coming to his table. They are brave, they have royal heritage, and they have worked hard for the king. You see, you need to understand, in any earthly kingdom, people earn their way to the table. Stop talking. People earn... I'm just messing with you. So... These people earned their way. In any earthly kingdom, you earn your way to the table. By the way, this is on Facebook, so I get to go back and look at your your expressions and all the things you do. Um, As long as there's an internet, you will be on the internet. Um, Now, not only were these people the who's who of the kingdom... They also have a vested interest in making sure he stays in power because if you're at the king's table and King D loses power, you know what happens to you? You're no longer at the table. You're a target for the next king. So they'll do anything in their power to make sure King D keeps his power. Now, remember, this was a very violent time in human history. So At this time, the next king would ask a question. And here's the question he would ask. Is there anyone from the previous regime still around? All right, so King D says, is there a king? Is there anybody from the previous regime? So remember, he is not related to Saul. And it's a dangerous time if you're not. So he's going to ask, is there anyone from the previous regime still around that I need to murder? Because... If later on someone with a royal bloodline shows up, you got trouble. There could, be a, there could be a civil war because this guy has a right to the throne and you're claiming the throne. So in that time, it was just the thing. You would kill people if they were related. So David would ask, is there anyone from the house of Saul, the king, or his firstborn, Jonathan, still alive? If so, you'd take them out, kill them. It's just what they did. So David asked the question in 2 Samuel 9.1, and here's what he asked. David asked, is there still left of the house of Saul still anyone left, anyone still left, I can't read, of the house of Saul to whom I can show chesed. This is a fun word to say, and you need to practice it with me. You clear your throat, chesed, chesed. All right, come on, come on, come out. Come on, royal table, chesed. (laughs) That's right, you're the queen, you just look pretty, you got it. Now, this is a fun word to say, but it also is very important. Look at the next verse. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before the king, for David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba, your servant? So this was the way, if a king asked you something, you say, your servant. That means, yes, I am your servant and I'll do anything you want me to do. You are in charge. Your servant, you're in charge, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show? Help me out. Thank you. Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Lodabar is loosely translated the middle of nowhere. It would be like someplace east of Slocum or north of Natchez or, you know, out there past Blackfoot or I don't know. It's just... you you need to understand it's the middle of nowhere and this relative in the middle of nowhere has a name. It's Mephibosheth. I am not going to make you try to say that. Um, certainly not in public. We know from these verses that Mephibosheth was crippled. Why was he crippled? Well, you have to go, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what happens in second Samuel chapter four. Um, Saul and Jonathan are with the army and they are fighting the Philistines. So it's before David becomes king. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, are killed on the same day by the enemy. When word of that gets to the city where Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, that's why I'm not going to ask you to say it, where M is, um, his nurse, he's five years old, he's the son of Jonathan, his nurse knows what's going to happen because in those days you kill everybody of royal bloodline. She scoops up their five-year-old M, starts running, fleeing the situation, she trips and falls, and M is paralyzed. Now, in those days there was no such thing as the Paralympics. So if you had a physical handicap, you were considered of no value in that society. So you have the son of the former king's son living in the middle of nowhere, minding his own business. He's a nobody, he has no future, no hope. Um, no, he's no use to anyone except David because David is looking for a relative of the former king and M is one. Verse five, so King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the middle of nowhere, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. Let's say you're Mephibosheth, and you're in the middle of nowhere. You're in the sticks. You've been living in peace and staying out of the limelight. Your life isn't anything special, but at least you're alive. It's better, you can say, for the rest of your relatives. Then the king's rep- representative shows up, knocks on the door, and demands that you make your way to the king. What are you thinking? You're thinking, I'm dead. You're thinking, go ahead and carry out my will. You can have my room. You can have my donkey. You're thinking, I'm not surviving this day. Why? Because that's the way things were. In those days, if you were related to the former king, they would take you out into a public place. They would kill you publicly to say, this is what happens to people who want my throne. Look what happens in verse 6. When M, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, I am your, you're the king. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you chesed for the sake of your father, Jonathan. You see, you need to understand, David and Jonathan were best friends. Jonathan, the king's son, who, who in an earthly kingdom would be expected to be the found out that David was anointed by God as king and Jonathan said, I will serve you. I will show you chesed all the days of my life. David pledged to Jonathan, his best friend, I will show you chesed all the days of my life. So he says to him, I will show you chesed for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. You will always eat at my table. This is not what M expected to hear. So you need to understand what chesed means. It means loyal love. When I was in seminary, they they said this word means loving kindness and that's a great translation, but for me, it didn't do enough. Loyal love though brings to mind a man I know I never saw this, but I heard several people mention his, his wife got Alzheimer's went into the Cartmell home and and this man was a deacon in a church and and he never told anybody this, but other people would see him there. He would go every day to the nursing home. His wife got to the point she didn't know who he was, got to the point she would sometimes just scream in pain. She would be very mean to him and people said all he would ever do was go and sit in there and read the Bible out loud to her, pray with her, or just sit there in silence. Until she died every day for hours and hours, he kept his wife company. That's loyal love from an earthly perspective. Chesed, loyal love, is also what God shows towards us. So when David says to him, I'm going to show you chesed, loyal love, it is an incredible commitment that I'm going to love and provide for you all the days of your life. Now, all right. This is not an ordinary king, and that's part of the point of the story, but but let's say you're these folks. What are you thinking? Let's jump to the New Testament, and let me tell you what they probably are thinking. Let me tell you why. Go ahead, put that up there. First Corinthians. A person who does not have the Spirit, this is capital S, Holy Spirit, so this is a non-Christian, a person who does not have the Spirit, does not accept the truths that come from the Spirit of God. That person, the person who doesn't have the Spirit, thinks they are foolish and cannot understand them because they can only be judged to be true by the Spirit. If you're not a Christ follower, and at this time they couldn't be a Christ follower, they could be a God follower. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people for, uh, for just a time and then would leave whenever they were disobedient. In the New Testament, we have the Spirit all the time. So this says, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, if you're not tapped into the mind of the Holy Spirit. You can't understand spiritual things. You cannot appraise them because they can only be judged to be true by the Spirit. Capital S. Next. The spiritual person is able to judge all things. Don't you ever let someone say, don't judge me. The scripture says, don't judge lest you be judged. Yes, it says that, but there's a qualification. If you have the mind of Christ by being empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can make right judgments about things. In fact, a Christian who's filled with the Holy Spirit should be the one that's making judgments because they have a beeline to the heavenly father. Does that make sense? So these people, (laughs) I don't think they had the spirit. And so they probably weren't happy. See, the three the three, earned their way to the table. What about the 30? Actually, it's funny because it's not 30, it's, for, it's 37. At the end of chapter 23, it says, and there were 37. Now, if you take the 30 and you take the three, how many do you get? 33, so where does the 37? We don't know for sure, it's a couple of ideas. One is possibly, it was just a loose number, the 30 meant any in the 30s, 30. so 37 is one of the 30s, or it could have been that some of the 30 died and they were replaced by other people, but there were 37, and so, everybody understand that? There were 37. What are the 37 thinking? They've earned their way to the table, and, and uh, how would they feel when he brings in M? Someone who hasn't earned his way. The queen, oh, she looked good. You look good, baby. If you don't know, that is my daughter. (laughs) Just so you know, that's my daughter. She has royal bloodlines. She deserves to be here. But the 37? See, they faced death many times. The Bible says they've done exploits. You want to be up here? You have to do exploits. These men were the stuff of legends. If there was Hollywood back then, you wouldn't hear anything about King Arthur and Sir Lancelot and the Knights of the Round Table. They got nothing on these. guys. What these 37 did was so much more impressive than what they did. We wouldn't talk about Ocean's 11. We'd talk about David's 37. Uh-huh. You heard it once and you laughed the first time. So, But how did, how did M get here? What are his qualifications? M can't do, he can't earn anything. Why? Because he's handicapped. Because he's handicapped, he can't serve as priest. Because if there was any physical defect in you, you couldn't serve as a spiritual advisor. Can't serve as priest? He can't enlist in the army. He can't be a farmer. He can't do anything for the nation spiritually. He can't do anything for the nation um, physically to protect them. He can't provide. He can't do anything. What's he doing at this table? This is is a strange king and, and see, they're probably thinking, this is the son of the enemy. You don't invite the son of a dog to dine with us. He's worthless. Be very, very careful, calling anyone worthless whom the king has invited to his table. The church is the table where the hungry come to get fed. This is no ordinary king. So without the spirit, they're probably furious. Don't bring this guy in. Look what David does in second Samuel 9 /11. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. What does he bring to the table? Literally nothing. But David said, I want him here. See, the whole story starts with this not so ordinary king who asks, to whom can I show Hased? Who can I bless? Who is being left out? Not only does every king have a table, every one of us has a table. It may be your kitchen table and God wants you to invite somebody to your kitchen table. Or it might refer to where you work. It might be where you work out, where you hang out, where you recreate. I don't know. It definitely applies to this church. We've said the church is the table where the hungry come to get fed. So I want you to ask today. I want you to consider asking your question, who can I show chesed to? And I know you grammar police are hammering me. I should have said, to whom can I show chesed? Get over it. I realize it, but it was too late. The the slides were printed. So if that drives you crazy, move on to the next question. Who hasn't been included? There's someone in your world that, that hasn't been included, who hasn't been blessed. Who can I step into their life and welcome them to my table? to whom can I show chesed? And this is a big question because someone showed chesed to you or you wouldn't be here. It's the way the kingdom works. No one comes to the table until they're invited. How can they know about God unless someone tells them? How can they they hear unless there's someone preaching, someone sharing the bread of life with them? It's how you got here. God expects you to turn around and help someone else. See, God established this table And our God is not an ordinary king. That's the whole point of this. And this this king of kings has a table. You see, David's table, there was one right here. Mephibosheth did not earn his way, could not earn his way. Everybody else earned his way. But the king of kings table, no one earns a place. We're all we cannot earn it. The scripture says all of our righteous deeds, all of our deeds are like filthy rags. You can't earn it. We're all M's. God offers it to anybody who will come and then everybody at God's table, he expects them to turn around and invite someone else to come to the table. We're supposed to be his hands, his feet, his arms, his mouth to help people. So will you give people the bread of life? Will you, will you reach out to someone who doesn't deserve it because one time you didn't deserve it either? I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. And even on Facebook, if you're doing this, don't, don't just passively. I want you to actively participate. I want you to close your eyes. Everybody in the room, everybody on Facebook. And I want you to take both your hands and put it over your heart. Put them over your heart. And let me tell you why. The king said, I don't care what is politically correct. I'm gonna invite Mephibosheth. The king says, I don't care what others think. I don't care what the 37 think. I'm going to invite him to my table. Because the king said, I only care what God thinks. See, this king was described as a man after God's own heart. And so my question to you today is, do you want God to look at you and say, there is a man after my own heart or there is a woman after my own heart? Do you want God to look at your life and say, they are that valuable to me? There's one that has a heart like me. If so... Facebook, here in the room, I want you to pray this prayer. I'll lead it. You pray it right where you are silently. Lord, give me a heart like yours. Show me the people in my life who need chesed. Give me the eyes to see them. Give me a heart to care for them. And give me a burning desire to reach out to them this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're gonna finish the service like this. Some of you, there are heart issues you need to deal with and, and the best way is to allow God to, to give you a new heart. He says in the Old Testament, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So I'm going to play a song for you. The band has done it many times, and it's Christian Stanfield. It's, it's My Heart is Yours. And when this starts, y'all can go down here as well. But we're just going to play this. And if you need to go, if, if you need to excuse yourself and go, that's fine. Um, it's, it's, a, it's several minutes, this song. But I want you to think about doing some business with God during this song. You can sing. You can stand. You can come up here to the altar. You can kneel, whatever you need to do. But this is a holy time where God is doing heart surgery. And so if you're going to talk, just please go out into the, into the living room. You're free to talk out there. You're free to leave when the song starts, but we'll be dismissed when the song ends.